for a moment, First John chapter 2, and the passage will be in, and look at in more depth in a little bit, First John chapter 2, and we'll look at while we have all sorts of feedback. teaching and working with them. 1 John chapter 2. Years ago, Norman Vincent Peale told a story about two men who were standing on uh, 5th Avenue and 57th Street in New York City. The time that these men were, uh, were at this intersection... Their meeting was during the Christmas rush, and they were waiting for the light to turn red so they could get across the busy intersection. Well, it was obviously very, 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 very busy, far more so than normal, even though it is uh, busy all the time. And one of the men was irritated by the traffic and congestion, congestion, and he said this, this town is totally a mess. Look at this traffic. It's terrible. Something needs to be done about this. Well, the other man uh, just had a, a more philosophical thinking about the subject. He, he countered with these words. You know, it's astounding, the marvel of it. There was a baby born of peasant parents in a, in a little out-of-the-way place halfway around the world from here. The parents had no money or social standing, yet... 2,000 years later, that little baby creates a traffic jam on Fifth Avenue. It's one of the most sophisticated streets in the world, and a baby born 2,000 years ago affects it, and that irritates you. But in reality, it ought to fascinate you. Now, he's right. To think that a baby boy born in an obscure village uh, with simple parents who actually were no more than people forced to travel home to pay taxes. And yet, uh, around the world during this special season of the year, millions of people will be affected by his birth. Let me ask you, will you be affected by his birth? Uh, we have three Sundays, today included, uh, before Christmas Day. And it's my prayer and my desire that we be affected by the babe in the manger. Not just in being able to sing the carols, not just in looking at the baby and saying what a nice, wonderful scene and seeing manger scenes and doing all the other things that come with the season, but um, being affected by this baby in the manger and realizing how important it is, how important he is to our lives today. You know, I find a lot of times that we act, we think we act properly at this time of the year. You know, we understand it all. We know the baby. We know why he came. We know his purpose. And we could spout those things off. But I wonder if sometimes we're like the guy who was angry on the street corner. Oh, uh, maybe, you know, not exactly like he would be, but... Sometimes, isn't it true that in the hustle and bustle of the season, we can get angry with crowds? 
We can get frustrated at the events we must attend. We can get bothered by the stress that's put upon us with all that we have to do and have to get done and have to care for and all the places we have to be and all the things that, that we're appointed to take care of uh, during this time. And we can forget. We can see the baby, but we can forget the purpose. We can see his coming. We can know everything about it, but we fail to be impacted by his life. As I was preparing for and looking forward to Christmas Day and thinking about what to do uh, this year, I don't always do a series in, in regard to Christmas. Sometimes it's just the Sunday before. But I started to think about that baby and, and, and even that, that story and how often... Uh, it's possible for me to get caught up in the season, the busyness, the things, and to forget uh, forget about the baby and forget about his significance and, and forget about, in some ways, what it should mean to my life. And there's a challenging verse I wanted you to see that's kind of, if you would, going to be the theme for the next three weeks. Um, and it's going to, I hope, impact you and I. So that we respond differently to things because we, we see a baby and we understand what it means to us. And the passage in the verse is 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. It's a real challenging verse to anyone who is part of the family of God who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. Because it says this, He that saith he abideth in him, on himself also, so to walk as he walked. The challenge for you over these next few weeks is going to be from the Word of God to walk as Jesus walked. Not just to, to see a manger scene, but to walk as Jesus walked. Not just to say, I know him and I know the reason for the season. Because we always say that statement like eight million times and we'll see it eight zillion times in the next few weeks. But to walk as he walked. To think about him. To think about what he did when he came and and how he lived as he came, and the pattern our lives by this baby in the manger. See, the intent of this season, the intent of this time, is not just for us to look and say, oh, this is a great time to get with family. It is a good time to get with family. It's not just a time for us to gather together and say, oh, what a, what a nice opportunity for us to sing these, these Christmas songs we get to sing 18 times during Christmas and never, and never again during the entire year, unless someone pulls one out. <clears throat> at certain times, like our song leaders have done in the past, during the in the middle of the year at some time. But uh, the truth of the matter is, this time of year and the babe and the major should be impacting the way we walk, the things that we do. Uh, we ought not be frustrated with the season. We ought be in awe of the baby who became a man, who died for the sins of the world, who was buried and rose again, that we might have life. And to be impacted in such a way that we live differently this week, that we live differently on Christmas Day, that we live differently in January and, and July of next year, that our lives be impacted by this baby. If you want to title the messages for the next few weeks, we got lessons from our Lord. Or I put it another way and ask the question, affected by his birth. 
Are we going to be affected by the birth of Jesus Christ? Are we going to allow God to change us? Are we going to be able to say, I abide in him. And if I say I abide in him, I am part of his family and I am abiding in him. Then if I'm going to say that, I need to look at the baby in the manger. I need to see the man who lived life and I need to pattern myself after him. Uh, the next few weeks, we're going to be challenged to learn, to love, to look, to live. You say, well, we have three Sundays. Well, living gets into the new year. There we go. But So we're going to take four Sundays, and we'll have opportunity to learn about this baby. And the call today is for you to learn. I want you to look at him, to learn from him, to live like him. God wants us to see more than a baby. Will you learn from Jesus Christ? Would you, would you, would you ponder uh, the truth of this passage? I abide in him. I'm part of the family of God, and I am walking with him. If you're going to make that statement as a Christian, then walk as he walked. See him as he is. And today is my prayer that you will learn from him. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, one other verse we'll look at before we get to our passage this morning and spend a little bit of time. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus Christ, in fact, encouraged that very thing. He said these words, actually, to the, the crowd he was speaking to in uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. He said, uh, uh, Sorry, I have the wrong, I, I'm looking at Mark. There you go. It doesn't help if you're in the wrong book, does it? In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, which I will get to in just a moment. Uh, Jesus Christ said these words in verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And you know what he said right after that? And learn of me. And then he talks about it. It's been amazing to me. I've been spending time. That's why we have four, four messages we're going to look at. Uh, but how many times the Bible says, look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. Learn from him. Contemplate what he did. Contemplate how he lived. Contemplate his life. And live impacted by that very thing. And there is no greater passage to teach us what to learn from Jesus Christ then Philippians chapter 2. Now, there are many more, and we'll look at a couple others perhaps even later today. But Philippians chapter 2 is our passage that I'd like you to look at with me today. And learn of him and see this meek and lowly one who teaches us that we as well ought have that kind of heart and that kind of life. In Philippians chapter 2, a very familiar passage, Jesus Christ is talked about and his incarnation is discussed. We find in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
We're going to see what God has to say about learning from him in Philippians chapter 2 in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, uh, I need your help today to present the truth that you would have us to learn from Philippians 2. Help us, Lord God, not just to see the passage today, not just to see the baby in the manger, not just to see him coming, but Father, help it to impact our lives as it ought. I pray for anyone in this room who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that today they'd see that he came, that he came to die for their sins, and that they put their trust in him. For those who know Jesus Christ, may we see what God wants us to learn in Philippians 2. And I ask you to stir us, Lord. I need your help. And, and God, we, we need to grasp the truth of this passage. So stir us today. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants us to learn surrender. God wants us to learn submission. The coming of Jesus Christ and the life he lived was intended first and foremost So that is the primary purpose for which Jesus Christ came. But listen, if that is all we learn from the babe in the manger, if that is all we can see, and if that is all that we are taught about when we look at the babe and when we consider his life, then we miss a lot of what the Bible wants us to learn about him. You see, in Philippians chapter 2, as in many other places of Scripture, the Bible points us back and he says, look, don't just learn salvation from Jesus, learn from his life. Learn from his example. Learn from how he walked. And he tells us right in verse 5 at the beginning, uh, the very purpose, one of the purposes of Jesus, Christ, um, of, of Jesus Christ in his life, what we can learn. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look, why did the writer of, uh, of Philippians write the truth starting in verse 6 about Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Sometimes I've come to this passage and I've underemphasized what God wanted to emphasize. The truth of this passage is not, wow, what a wonderful condescension. The truth of this passage is, you need to have the mind of Jesus Christ. The truth of this passage is, Wow, God is going to highly exalt him, and every knee will bow before him, which is a wonderful truth. The truth of this passage is you need to have the mind of Jesus Christ. And if you miss that truth, then you miss the purpose for which the, the writer took time to share with us what Jesus Christ did and how he lived his life and why he came and, and the walk that he had in this life. Because in, in Philippians 2, he's not teaching us, be saved because Christ came to save the world. He's teaching us, Live like Jesus Christ. He's teaching us, learn from Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We talk often of the great condescension that he made in leaving the glories of heaven and the sacrifice that was evident. We speak of the honor that he deserves, as Paul mentioned in verses 9 to 11. But we miss the reason or purpose of the point being made here. 
He told us not to marvel at the deed of Christ, but to let it impact our life. Have it change us. Have it do something and challenge us, to stir us, exhort us to be different. And there is not a person in this room, and myself is included in this, that doesn't need the message of Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, so why did he write about Christ Jesus? Why did he tell us these things about his life? There is a marvelous truth here. There is some powerful statements. There are some great things to be learned about Jesus Christ. But he did it so that you and I would get the message that we're to have that very same kind of mind. The word mind here means to have the same sentiment or opinion. It's to have the mindset of Christ. So do you have that kind of mindset? Um, well, you know, this time of the year, a lot of this time of the year, a lot of things can teach us whether we have the mindset of Christ. Like when someone pulls in front of you and, and gets your parking place. And there's no other parking place but 16 miles from the store. Come on, you know that I don't like I don't like going out anywhere from, from well now because they start so they start uh, promoting Christmas deals like well September. Uh, no, I, you know I don't like going out and shopping during this time of year. I don't know maybe you don't maybe you just love the thrill of finding that parking space and everything else. But uh, you know those things to me are frustrating. And you know they reveal whether we have in a sense the mind of Christ? They do. All the pressures and all the events that are going to be coming up over these next few weeks that you have to be at and all that, they're going to show whether you have the mind of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of the things that happen at work over these next coming weeks will show whether you have the mind of Jesus Christ. It's when we're put in the fire, when we're put to the test, when we find if we have this kind of mind that God was talking about. You see, the purpose of teaching us about Jesus Christ coming and condescending to this earth and living his life and the reason why Paul took the time in, to, the, to share with the church at Philippi, this is what Jesus did and this is why Jesus came, was to teach us that we're to have a mind like him. Now, here, are, here are some people at home. Here's a wife that says her husband treats her like a slave. Does she have the mind of Christ? Here are two teenagers that say, my parents make me do everything around the house. And they never let me go anywhere. Do they have the mind of Christ? Uh, here's, a, here's a man who says, oh man, my, uh, my co-workers walk all over me. They take advantage of me because I'm a Christian. Does he have the mind of Christ? You see, we want to say, Yes, I understand Jesus. I understand his life. But I ask you the question today, do you have the kind of mind of Jesus? And that's the question of this passage. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So yes, we're going to learn about the Savior. Yes, we're going to be confronted with his birth, his coming, his purpose, and, and what God did through him. What the Father did. But if you don't learn the lesson of this passage, that it applies to you. There's a purpose in it, but you need to have that mind and you miss it. So what can I learn from Jesus Christ? I learned to have a surrendered or a submissive spirit. Um, do you have the mind of Jesus Christ? Um, do you have that mindset at home? 
I let, my husband never lifts a finger to help around the holidays. I'm not suggesting your husband doesn't need help and doesn't need to change. But what I do want to ask you this morning is, do you have your mind of Christ? Husband says, I come home and my wife expects me to take care of the kids and I've had a busy day at work. I didn't ask if there isn't something you need to discuss and deal with and there, that there may be problems in your home and in your family, but I do ask the question, do you have a mindset of Christ? The things we say, the way we live, show us whether we're thinking like Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you. That's the purpose of this passage to challenge us, to ask us the question, do we think like Jesus? Do you? I, I got to tell you, you, you say, man, you're already making me feel bad this morning. I, I got to tell you that as I read through these verses and I think of them in light of verse 5, I, I'm convicted. Because I see someone who is so far above me, who put himself willingly so far below me. And yet, when I'm driving down the road, I don't have the mind of Christ. It's something as simple as someone who cuts me off. Sometimes at home, I don't have the mind of Christ when I get angry about the fact that my wife asked me to help with something. Do I have the mind of Jesus Christ? That's the purpose. Now, notice the point in verse 6. Who? All right, what did Jesus Christ do? Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Here's the point, and here's the stark contrast. He says, look, do you have the mind of Jesus Christ? All right, if you're going to have the mind of Christ... Then you've got to understand where Jesus was and what Jesus did. And he starts in verse 6 to share with us the point. The point is, Jesus was God. That's the point. By the way, the Mormons and JWs don't understand that. They are false religions. That's free. But you need to know that. They are not friends of, of Jesus Christ. They're not friends of the gospel. They're not friends of God because they reject who Jesus Christ was. He is God. That is the very point of verse 6. In fact, that is the statement he's trying to make. Look, Jesus Christ was in the form of God. He was just as God. He is God. He had the very nature of God. In eternity past, Jesus Christ was in the form of God. Before he ever existed on this earth, he was in the form of God. He had the nature of God. He was God. Only three times in Scripture do we find uh, the the word the form the word form of God, uh, and twice it's in these verses, and it was clear what the writer meant to say. Jesus Christ is God, for in Him Colossians uh, writes, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When you look at the description of Jesus Christ, you see Him as God. He's eternal. He's omniscient. He is omnipotent. He has the attributes and characteristics of God. The Father, and time would fail us today to look at all the scriptures that tell us Jesus Christ is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was 
God. And throughout John chapter 1, we're reminded of that truth. And throughout the entire book of John and throughout the entire Bible, we're told Jesus Christ is God. And what makes this mind of Christ so amazing is that Jesus Christ had that position. That's the point. He was God. Now think about that. God, who did what's talked about starting in verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. Look, it wouldn't be improper. This point of verse 6 is it wouldn't be improper for Jesus Christ to expect to be treated with honor, respect, and reverence. Am I right? Um, if he Think about this. If Jesus Christ came to this earth, even as a great king or a great leader, he still would be stepping down. Uh, if... If he were born in a palace, he had people attending his every whim. He, he would have been stepping down. It would have been a demeaning thing. Because in verse 6, we're confronted with his, his majesty, his grandeur. He was in the form of God. Do you, do you know that there are seraphims that fly around the throne of God all the time saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with glory. Jesus Christ receives that honor. Receives it all the time in heaven, all the time, continually, and rightfully so because he was in the form of God. The Bible tells us that the angels ministered to him; they do his his every bidding, and rightfully so because he was God. The point of verse six is Jesus is God. You say, well, that's profound, but that's what makes verse seven so amazing because this one who deserves all worship, he's the creator of the world. Everything that you see, everything exists by him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. This very day, you would not be if it weren't for Jesus Christ. And that God, who deserves all worship and glory and honor, who is the majestic one, he is the mighty one, he is the everlasting one, the eternal God of heaven and earth, that one laid aside his rights. And came to this earth. What's so amazing about this act. Is the position he held. Before he came. And the truth is. Um, he is so far above me. But he put himself. So far below me. Look at what it says in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. Notice the practice. The point is made. He was God. Now notice the practice of Jesus Christ. He made himself. The first phrase of verse 7 gives us an unbelievable uh, scenario. This one who is equal to God, who is God in every way, who deserves God-like treatment, honor and glory and praise and worship all the time, acted completely contrary to what any person would ever imagine a God, God would, would act like. And I, I look at the statement again, but made himself of no reputation. No one could take his position from him. No one could force Jesus Christ to come. No one had the ability, no one had the right, no one had the position to say, you need to come. 
I deserve better than this. I deserve more than this. Rightfully so. And he was not boasting when he could make that he made that statement. And he says, that's okay. I'm going to make myself something very different. Because I love them. That was going to be what Jesus told us. If I love you, I'm going to do something for you. And what that requires is that I make myself of no reputation. If I today was in Washington, D.C., and I started to walk toward the White House and acted like I was the President of the United States, I'd be stopped in my tracks somewhere by Secret Service agents. Don't you suspect? Um, If I tried to push my way through and I started to get belligerent and I started to fight, I might even even get a bullet. You know why? Because I have no right to take that position. I have no right to go in and sit in the Oval Office and say, I am the President of the United States. I have no right because that's not my position. That's not the position that I hold. I'm just a Steve Schwanky nobody. Um, But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ deserves to be worshipped and adored, but he made himself of no reputation. The whole statement is meant to be understood, though, together. He emptied himself. Uh, there's, there's a lot of technological terms they use for it, but there's just no way to describe it. You know, the, the, the Bible scholars will impress us with, with great words about his condescension. But you know, uh, there's, just, there's just no way to understand how God, how God could make himself poor, unimportant man. He was the lowest of the low of the earth. He did that in order to create something in us. And that a mind that you and I Amen, Billy, my friend? servant. It was made in the likeness of men. Man, who wants to be a man? Would you trade, would you trade being able to travel anywhere at any time in a moment's notice with this body? Seriously. Would you, would you trade that the lower body of Jesus Christ or, or as, as a, a being like this thing? Wow, you're getting into things we can't even describe. You're right. But would you trade that in 
for a frail human body that gets sick, that, that gets old and decays, that gets warped. They can never keep healthy. But Jesus Christ was willing to trade. Bad trade. Bad trade. If you were to describe this trade, say, man, he lost out on that deal. He did. You know, because all he got was us. Y'all don't know all that bad because you were his enemy. With this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, desired not robbery, be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. By the way, he didn't stop being God. But he divested himself of his glory, of his honor, in many ways, even in the exercise of his godhood, so that he could provide a way of salvation for you and for me. That was his mind. You know, sometimes when I see Christians marching on, uh, uh, you know, in in, um, in Nashville. Because we need our rights. Sometimes I wonder whether we understand at all who Jesus was. Now, I'm not suggesting that there are times where we have to stand up and say, this is right. I'm not suggesting that a husband who has problems at home doesn't sit down with his wife and say, we've got some difficulties to be ironed up. God doesn't tell us that it's wrong to do those things and to deal with issues and problems that are really there and truly exist. But what God does say is that we're to think like Jesus Christ. And sometimes the problems we have are because we haven't been thinking like Jesus Christ. We haven't had that kind of mind that says, you know what, I'm not important here. So as a husband, uh, there, there are times where I should be saying, you know, I'm not important. My wife's out in the kitchen and she's working. And so, yeah, I had a rough day at work, but she could use some help as she's getting ready for the holidays. And wives are poking their husbands right now, you know. Say, listen to this one. You know, the wife who's in there saying, my husband never helps me with anything, needs to have the mind of Christ. He says, if he doesn't come out here, it doesn't matter. Because I'm going to serve God, and this is part of serving God. Getting ready for this party. Great husbands now poke their wives. And, and isn't it interesting? Because we always want to point to the other person, but we don't ask ourselves the question, do I have that mind? Man, pastor, we're supposed to hear just like uplifting messages about Jesus, the little baby, and everything else. This is the most uplifting message that ever happened in your life. If you'll take to heart what God said in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, because that's where, that's where joy comes. And that's where, by the way, God's honor comes from having that kind of heart, that kind of mindset, and learning from Jesus. He emptied himself. Um, notice in verse 8, uh, he humbled himself. Uh, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, verse 7, was made in the likeness of men. Okay, so wow, that is just an amazing condescension. What a mind. And being found in fashion as a man. He, he went beyond that. Okay, so he became a man. And you say, wow, that's amazing. But it says in verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The worst way you could possibly die in the, in the time and day of Christ. 
It was the it was the the Romans came up with one of the 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 most horrific ways to take a life. Well, and by the way, the Romans were good at that. This study, what do you mean by that? You you study history. The Romans were good at that. They, they later on had the Colosseums where they put people in and they 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 brought hungry lions in and they brought Christians in and just left them there and crowds would cheer for the lions. While the lions would, I would suspect the Christians were running around, the lions would, well, they had dinner. They were gruesome. The cross, they tell us, was, was the worst. It was like the worst of the worst. And Jesus Christ had the kind of mind that said, Suggestion isn't that that I have to form or subdue my rebellion under the law for the sword because I have to Christ. You don't have a man of Christ that can say, No, I have to do that. But it's having a clean heart that says, You know, when you get to that point, it's okay, Lord. Certainly, when you bore me, I didn't do exercise anyway. So he not only um, divested himself of what was rightfully his, but then he humbled himself. Do you know what it means to humble? He humiliated himself, abased himself. That's what the word means in verse 8. Have you ever been humiliated before? Old Testament times. Do you remember the story of, of Samson? Mighty Samson, right? Right. Do you know what the Philistines did after they after they beat him? They humiliated him. All right, how did they do it? First thing, they poked out his eyes. That's pleasant. Nice subject today. They did. So now he's blind and he's in prison, and they have this big gathering where a couple thousand Philistines are having this big party. So what do they do? They bring him out and they make sport of him. You know what they're doing? Humiliate him. You know, uh, there were servants there, uh, but the, the idea was that he, he was just there for them to laugh at. If someone maybe threw something at him. I don't know. Maybe one of the slaves were poking him, and, and he was reaching out trying to get those people. He was humiliated. 
Is there anything more humility, humiliating than God coming to this earth as a human being and being spit on? Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Notice, even the death of the cross. Now, if he was killed instantly, that would still be humiliating and demeaning. That was all shared with us, primarily for this reason, to ask us if we have that surrendered mind. And challenge us. Today is a day for morning, if, if God has spoken to you, maybe it's important for you to, to, to do business with God. 
telling you that you're going to have the mind of Jesus Christ. So when we, in a moment, after I pray, when we stand, after I pray, and we and the, the music begins for, for an invitation, I want to ask you, if you haven't had that kind of time, will you take some time and talk to God about it? And express your failure and your desire place determined to follow what Philippians 2 teaches. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for John and me. Father, I, I certainly don't have the mind of Christ as I ought. And I'm asking that you help me to work on that mind. Lord, I suspect what's true in my life is probably true in others as well. We claim the name of Jesus Christ. And we're to walk as you walk. So, Father, let us have your mind as we change lives because of what we heard today and what we saw in Philippians 2. Help us not to see just a, an amazing Savior. Help us to see a challenge for our own mind and heart to think. Heads down.